starting a, a series. I originally was going to call this boot camp. We did a boot camp series uh, my first summer that I was here five years ago, and uh, I really was kind of feeling the need to talk about some of the same things. But this morning, um, it's, it's kind of the same idea, but as I was digging into the text, I felt like a better title would be Continually Devoted. Continually Devoted. And so we're going to do a series for the next several weeks called Continually Devoted, and that comes out of Acts chapter 2. And um, I want to read the Scripture and kind of set the context, and then if you'll just give me some time this morning to make my case, I'm going to make a case to, uh, to present uh, where we're heading as a church. We've been talking a lot about this, but uh, talking about why this is a significant course correction that we're making as a church and, and why we're doing that. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is the beginning of the church, to which we are a part of the movement of the church that was born out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price for our sins, and then he was buried in the grave. He was in the grave for three days, and he rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And about 50 days later, he ascended back up into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, which is an incredibly significant event that we've overlooked for a, a lot of years and, and churches that I've been a part of, because if he had not ascended, if he had stayed on earth, Scripture teaches us that he could not have sent the Holy Spirit. And so, because he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit resides and dwells in all who believe. And so, now, now we, the church, are able to live out this life that we've been given to live because we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God Himself dwelling in us, giving us what we need to be able to live out this Christian life. And here in Acts chapter 2, this is the first thing that happens, the, the first event that happens after the church received the Holy Spirit. Jesus told His disciples to go and wait and pray, and they did that. They waited and they prayed, and then they were in the upper room during a, a, a season, a holiday called Pentecost, when there were thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people from all over the area who had gathered into the town, and, and the, the, uh, the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ were in a room, and as they're in this upper room, the Holy Spirit fills the room and fills the people, and the description is that there was something like fire over their heads, and they started to speak in different languages, and all the people who were from all over the area had, had, were gathered around, and they were hearing what was happening from this room coming out in their own language, and everyone was astounded at it. And so, as they're astounded, then Peter takes advantage of the opportunity where he has the attention of thousands of people, and he preaches the first gospel sermon to bring people to repentance, to bring people to Christ. And after that sermon, we're into, I'll get into that in just a minute. After that sermon, we have this descriptive phrase about what life was like as a part of the early church. And if you've been around church, you've probably heard this scripture quite a few times. But we're going to really dig into it over the next several weeks. It says they were, this is, by the way, the New American Standard Version, and I will uh, explain why I'm using that particular version in just a minute. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. If you've been around here any length of time, you know that has been a prayer of mine that, that, that through our church community, not through me specifically, but through us as the body of Christ, because we have a, a misconception that it's the pastor's job to do all of the saving and do all of the reaching out, do all of the discipling, do all of the work of church, and that's why we pay a pastor, right? That's kind of the thinking in the American church. But but that's not how, how the church is supposed to operate, and that's not how we have operated. So my desire has been that as we are living out lives as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, people who have been mentored by Christ's teaching and, and are coming up after Him in that same teaching, that, that we would live such lives that day by day as we're out enjoying the favor of the people as we're living this kind of life, that that God would be adding to the number of the kingdom through the lives that we lead. That has been my prayer since we started here. And the specific thing that, that always came to mind, you know, Jim answers the phones most of the time in the office, is that uh, most of the calls we get in the office are telemarketers and, and some really aggressive telemarketers, uh, which is really ironic when you think about the fact that they're calling a church and a lot of them are selling church products to church and they get really aggressive with you and they're trying to sell their church products to you. But that's not a part of this message. That's just a rant. Um, <laughs> but I just have always had this picture of just getting phone calls into the office, you know, once a day, maybe a couple of times a day from, from people who are who are a part of 6-8 Church and say, yeah, I was just, you know, I was just out and I was having lunch with one of my coworkers, and he and I have been talking for, for months and months, if not longer than that, uh, about all of, all of how Jesus has affected my life, and he just put his faith in Jesus Christ today, and, you know, and just kind of day after day after day, hearing those stories would be a dream for me. But... To get to where we're going, I need to identify where we are, not just as our church, but the church. So I'm going to talk this morning kind of about the church in America as it stands, as I have observed it. I am not belittling, I am not criticizing, I'm not putting down churches, the church or any church. These are just my observations having been a part of the church for quite some time. When you think about the early church, the first word that comes to mind for me is radical. They lived radical, exceptional lives, that they had a radical approach to, to how they were living out their faith. Well, the first word that comes to mind about church today would probably be unremarkable in my mind. Now, I am, I am amazed by our church and the people God has brought together, so, so please don't hear this as, 
as negative or judgmental. That is not my intent. I just want to identify some of the struggle we're dealing with when it comes to the church culturally in our day and age so that we can address it and build ourselves out of it. But having been in ministry for about 20 years now, a lot of the churches I've been in, we have done great things, built great programs, and even many of the churches built amazing buildings But the ministry of the church, the outreach of the church, the discipling of people in the church as of yet has been largely unremarkable as to its effect, as to its life, as to its mission, and as to its community. It's been largely unremarkable. Our buildings are not. Oftentimes, our buildings are quite remarkable. But as to our impact in the world, the effect of the church has been somewhat unremarkable. And when you contrast that with the early church, the early church didn't really have buildings of their own. They met in houses most of the time. And their common meeting place, as we just read, was the temple courts. They would go and meet together as a larger group in the temple courts every day, and then they would meet in their houses every day. They didn't have church buildings like we have and we are used to in our culture. They didn't really need them. It just spread without it, and yet it was remarkable. It was radical. And so we've been going through a season here for at least a year, if not longer, as a church, really wrestling with the future of 6-8 Church What is it God has for us? Where does He want us to be going? What is it that He wants to invest all of our effort and our energy into? And a lot of what I'm sharing with you this morning is leading us in that direction, and it's also coming out of a lot of this investigation we have been doing. And a lot of our investigation has led us to this, that the reason that the church is unremarkable, the reason the church is having such a little impact on the people who are a part of the church as well as in the world and communities around the church, is that we have treated the church like a commodity instead of a family. That we have given priority to our personal preferences in the church instead of the family of God, which we're supposed to be a part of. And we've allowed our personal preferences to determine then the kind of church we will be or the kind of church we want to be a part of. And so we go about the process even of finding a church based on consumeristic tendencies instead of covenantal community. Instead of having a relationship-driven purpose in the world, we have a preference-driven product to consume. This is not just the fault of people in the church, but also of the churches ourselves. In fact, I would say it's probably on church leadership the, the reason why the church looks like it does today, that, that for many of churches, we've had an attractional model of ministry. You're going to hear me mention that phrase from time to time, and how we are moving away from that as a method of doing ministry. The attractional model of ministry says do enough programs, do enough ministries that attract people into the church, and hopefully as you do those things, you get them into the church building, and maybe they will stick. 
And so we have done a lot of things over the years. We've done a lot of different ministries. We've done a lot of different events in the hopes that we would draw people into the church and hopefully they would stick and hopefully you keep more than you lose. But it hasn't really worked. And what we've noticed is that the though we are thrilled and grateful for all the people that do come and make 6-8 Church their home, the responsibility that is on all believers of bringing the lost into the kingdom doesn't really take place through an attractional ministry model. We bring in a lot of great people who are looking for a church home, which is not a bad thing, but but our mission is not just that the, the people who don't have a church home would find a church home, but our mission is to make disciples of all nations, bringing the lost into the kingdom. And so an attractional, programmatic kind of version of church, I don't think, is really what God had in mind for His bride when He designed it from the outset. What God had in mind was a people set apart for Himself. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to share quite a few scriptures with you that aren't on the screen. Did not have time to get them all up in the, on the screen for you this morning. So maybe you can write down the references on your notes and uh, look them up later. But 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. So we are a chosen people called out of darkness and into His wonderful light. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are set apart for God's own pleasure. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They, them, are from the world and therefore speak from the, view, the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And my last scripture here is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which we use all the time. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are supposed to be a community called out of the darkness into the light, set apart for God's special purposes, and yet for a great deal of time we have done exactly the opposite. We as the church have tried to look more and more like the world. If we can blend in with the world, maybe that will help people come in to the church, but it hasn't really worked that well. So I think we have to ask ourselves this question, are we set aside, are we set apart for God's purposes as a church today? And I want to ask you a question. If you were to look at our church, especially those who are really familiar with, with our church, would you say that our church has been set apart from everyone else? Are we, are we radically different? Is there something radically different about who we are as a church? Maybe we are, maybe we aren't, but something to think about. Another question is, why do 
think that maybe we in the church, the global church, the big church, aren't this radical anymore. Well, I'm sure there are probably many reasons, a lot of it probably driven by money, to be honest, driven by dollars. We do the things that keep the bills paid, and sometimes those are the safe things, not the right things. But based on the Scripture that we're studying right now, I think probably the biggest reason that we aren't set aside, that we aren't set apart, that we aren't called out of the darkness like we're supposed to be to shine and display the light of the kingdom, probably one of the biggest reasons is that we've given up on God's design for His people and replaced it with our desires for ourselves. And so instead of thinking, what is it that God wants? What was God's design for the church? What was God's desire for the church? We have replaced those questions with, what is our desire for the church? What do we want out of the church? And so I think we kind of need to do a little bit of backtracking and getting back to the truth of the church. So how do we change it? This is where it gets really interesting to me. This is some study I've been doing. Um, I, I'm trying to pronounce this word, so I'm going to butcher it. I guarantee it. But it's, it's a Greek word. It's called uh, proskartereo. Proskartereo. P-R-O-S. You can write this down. You can go look up how to actually pronounce it. P-R-O-S-K-A-R-T-E-R-E-O. Proskatereo. That's the word that is used here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, for continually devoted. Now, I want to look at the same verse in uh, uh, four other translations and see what happens. The NIV in verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The ESV says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The New Living Translation says, And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The NET, the New English Translation, says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So just a little bit of a change. But the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, the one, that old Bible that you probably don't even have anymore, that you've never had, or that's been sitting on your uh, shelf collecting dust for a long time, uses this translation, continually devoted. It translates proskartereo as continually devoted. And you may be sitting here thinking, okay, I don't care about Greek. What's the big deal between the difference? I mean, everyone else seems to be in agreement. It's about, it's devoted. The NSB says continually devoted. Well, the big difference is when you get to looking into the actual definitions, and and maybe if you're kind of nerdy and geeky like me, you can geek out with me here just a little bit, because here are the definitions of proskartereo in the Greek, what it actually means. It says it's properly to consistently show strength which prevails in spite of difficulties, to endure, remain firm, staying in a fixed direction. That's the definition of proskar tereo. It means to continue to do something with intense effort, 
with the possible implication of despite difficulty. So I'm going to devote myself to, to keep on, to persist in, even if things get hard. Now, there's still more. One more definition I want to read that I came across. It's, it's, it is, it means steadfast, be strong, firm, endure, hold out, to be earnest towards, to persevere. It describes a steadfast, single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. It means to persist obstinately in a task, to keep on with devotion, to continue to do something with intense effort, to be steadfastly attentive unto, to give unremitting unremitting care to a thing, to continue all the time in a place. Are you getting the idea here? It's It's to persevere and not to faint, to be constantly diligent, to attend assiduously all the exercises. Are, we, are you getting an understanding? I know there's about three paragraphs here. But to adhere closely to, to attend continually or wait on continually, to tarry or remain somewhere. So all of these, all of these other translations, they reduce the, the word proskartoreo to the one word devoted. But if you know anything about Greek, you know that there's often a lot more than just the one word. There's the tense that plays into it, and the tense of this word is an, an imperative. It's a, it's a command. It is, they were continually devoted command. It is something that they were so serious about, it was going to happen no matter what. So to reduce the word to just devotion, devoted, I think really robs a lot of the meaning. So they were, they were continually devoted. They were ongoing devoted. They were continuously, intensely devoted and obstinately persistent to these four things. They were continually, intensely devoted and obstinately persistent to the apostles' teaching. And you get the picture from the early church that they just couldn't get enough of the teaching. They met every single day in the temple courts to listen and learn and let God's Word shape their lives. They would meet in their houses and discuss the things that they were learning to, to apply them and implement them into their lives. They were, they were continually, intensely devoted and obstinately persistent to the apostles' teaching. See, this is what continually devoted means. These are the ideas. They were, they were continually, intensely devoted and obstinately persistent to fellowship. They were literally living their lives on top of one another. That is how they were living out their day-to-day life. And there was intense accountability to, to live out their life and what the apostles taught and again, they, they continually, intensely devoted and obstinately persistent to the breaking of bread. They, in other words, they ate a lot of meals together. They had potlucks together all of the time. And when they were together, they often, if not always, remembered what Jesus had done for them. They were continually, intensely devoted and obstinately persistent to prayer. They weren't just asking God to grant their next wish. They were passionately praying 
for the word of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to spread and take hold everywhere. So, is there any context in our life right now, your life, my life, our life as a community, where we would be described as continually, intensely devoted and obstinately persistent towards something? Can you think of a context where that would be the description that people used? And I'm sure some of you do, some of you are, some of you have those areas in your life. Could that be described, could that be a description for our church? See, I've been here for five years, and, and we've been doing church, and we've been going about the business of church and, and doing the things as best we can to, to try to, to build up the faith of the people, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and and it's all, there's nothing really wrong with anything that we've done up to this point, but there is, I think, a better thing that we can do moving forward as a church. And the way I would describe it is that we've kind of been dabbling in the idea of church for the last five years or however many years, and now I would like us to, to step up and get about the business of continually devoted church. I would like that to be a description that comes to mind when we think about our approach to church. I am continually devoted. Now, this doesn't just require a change of thinking, but a change of action. It's not just an agreement with me as we're sitting here gathered together in this context on a Sunday morning, but, but we have to actually change how we live our lives. We we have to allow God unrestricted access to our hearts, to our minds, to our soul, to our strength, and we have to allow Him to cut out things in our lives that are keeping us from experiencing Him in this way. And that's where it gets challenging. Because most of the things we have in our life, we have there because we want them there. But what if this thing that is there that we like is keeping us from something that is so much better that we can't even fathom and holding on to some of these things are really robbing us of the community God wants us to have? So for the rest of our time today, I'm going to dig into the apostles' teaching. I'm not going to get to, in, to it in depth uh, because there's a lot to it. Uh, they, they taught a, a, a fair amount, but it boils down to a couple of ideas that I want to share with us this morning. And then you'll notice on your bulletin, there's a reading guide for the week ahead that we have some scriptures for Monday through Saturday for everyone to read. We're going to be talking about those on uh, Workplace. We're going to be sharing those on Workplace and doing some discussion, and we're going to do as much as we can in the week ahead to reinforce what we're talking about here this morning so that it becomes a part of our thinking, not just something we talked about that one Sunday a few months ago. But these are the two big areas of the apostles' teaching. They talked, obviously, about Jesus emphasizing the resurrection. They talked a lot about 
the resurrection of Jesus, and they taught about how all of the Scriptures pointed to Jesus. So they were looking at, because they had spent time with Jesus and their study prior to that, they, they, a lot of them knew the Old Testament Scriptures, and so a lot of what they teach is drawing the Old Testament into the life of Jesus and looking at how the Old Testament and the prophets and everything was pointing towards and looking to Jesus. And so they were, in, they were intensely focused on sharing that truth with the church. And another major, one of the most, uh, uh, the biggest parts that they talked and they shared and they taught with was also about the church, how to be the church. They talked, they sent letters. A lot of the letters and the epistles are written to churches. All the letters are written to churches or church leaders about how to be the church or how to lead the church. And so these were their these were their major emphases as, as teachers of the early church. Jesus' resurrection and how all the Scriptures pointed towards Jesus and the church. What does the bride of Christ look like? How do we reflect Christ now that we have received the gift of the Spirit of Christ into our lives? And the first sermon, the first teaching of an apostle was Peter here in, in Acts chapter 2. And I actually... I want, to, I want to read through the whole thing, and I know that's maybe a little bit crazy. That might be a little bit odd for, for how most of us experience church on a Sunday morning. We're not used to just sitting and listening to lots of Scripture being read. But, but I want to read through Peter's sermon, and, and it's Luke's summary of it. Maybe you want to close your eyes and, and put yourself in the context Maybe you want to you picture yourself there gathered outside the room where you have just heard this great sound and, and you have seen something like fire over people's heads and you hear all of these commoners, these common people speaking in your language, which is dumbfounding. And, and here you are now standing outside having experienced this, not knowing for sure what's going on. And Peter stands up. And there were so many people there that he had to speak quite loudly. And he addressed the crowd. You men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions and your old men will see dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. 
And I will perform wonders in the sky above and miraculous signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him, just as you yourselves know, this man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, this man you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of of the Gentiles. But God raised him up, having released him from the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held in its power. For David says about him, I saw the Lord always in front of me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My body also will live in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades nor permit your Holy One to experience decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full, make me full of joy with your presence. Brothers, I can speak confidently to you about our forefather David that, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So then, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, David, by foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his body experience decay. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses of it. So then, exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were acutely distressed and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What should we do, brothers? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. 
And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. You can see the apostles' teaching was was about pointing people to Jesus and looking back to to the Old Testament and drawing from the Scriptures that looked to Jesus and and painting them in the context of Jesus' life. This This is the apostles' teaching. And then he talks about repenting. We repent. And then as we repent and we're baptized and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then he says, save yourselves from this perverse generation. That's kind of a summary of what the apostles' teaching looks like. So on a scale of 1 to 10, you have this on your bulletin. I would invite you to write your answer here. How would you rate your devotion to the apostles' teaching? How would you rate your continually devoted approach to the apostles' teaching? Would one being... I try to keep my eyes open on the Sundays that I feel like coming to church. And 10 being, I'm in God's Word all the time, reading, thinking, and praying about it and allowing it to impact my life minute by minute. Where are you? Be honest with yourself. You're not going to do any good by lying and try to impress the person looking over your shoulder. Be honest with where you are right now. How would you rate your devotion to the apostles' teaching? Maybe a way of thinking about it would be like this. When was the last time your God box had to be expanded? Now, it's often said, and I've I've said this, and this is true, that the religion is our attempt to earn our position with God, and, and that would be a true statement. But I've been thinking about that word religion a lot lately, And I think it's worse than just our attempt to earn our position with God. I think religion also tends to be our attempt to define God so that He fits in our box. And I live my life within the box that I think God expects of me and how I think God operates, and then my religious duties and activities are focused on how God is in my box. So when was the last time your God box had to be expanded? And if our God box has not been expanded in a while, we probably need to be more devoted to the apostles' teaching. Where is that coming from? It comes actually from verse 43, where it says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. They kept feeling a sense of awe. As they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer, it says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many signs and wonders had taken pla- were taking place through the apostles. And then it goes on to explain. It was, everyone kept feeling this sense of awe. In other words, you might say that their God box was getting blown up. They were in awe that, 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 that God, who they had understood to be in this shape based on their context of the law, 
was, was what they had known, and now they're seeing God do things that they cannot even comprehend with their own minds. They were feeling a sense of awe. Their God box was getting blown up. When was the last time our God box was expanded? See, the apostles' teaching is the truth of Jesus Christ being built upon the truth of all of Scripture. And when you start to bring in all of Scripture and bring in an understanding of of the whole picture of Scripture, which many of us don't have a good understanding of, and, and, and you know, maybe that's on us individually. It's also on the church for not really teaching the whole of Scripture. But we go to our favorite verses, and I myself do this. You know, we go to the verses that we know and that we're comfortable with, and we kind of go and read those over and over and over and over again. But all of Jesus is built on the truth of the Old Testament because it points to Jesus being the Messiah for all of creation. And Proverbs chapter 3 kind of gives this understanding of how even God's truth is the basis for the entire created world. Proverbs 3.13 through 17 or 18 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who obtains understanding. For her, wisdom's benefit is more profitable than silver, and her gain is better than gold. She is more precious than rubies, and none of the things you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are very pleasant, and all her paths are peaceful. She is like a tree of life to those who obtain her, and everyone who grasps hold of her will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the foundation of the earth. He established the heavens by understanding. And Jesus, as we learn about who he was, and and John says that he came from the Father full of grace and truth. He was the perfect embodiment of God's truth, God's wisdom, and God's grace. What is our life built on today? Is our life built on the foundation of God's truth? the foundation of Jesus Christ and the revelation of Jesus Christ throughout all of Scripture, or is our foundation built on our own understanding, our own definitions of who God is, our own thinking, our own religion? Truthfully, our own God. That isn't the real God. So this week... In the week ahead and workplace, we're going to be focusing in on these ideas of being devoted to the apostles' teaching, being set apart for God's purposes. That's why we have the daily Bible reading in your bulletin. We're going to do our workplace Bible studies. Tomorrow night at 10 o'clock, we have a live Bible study on workplace, and Rob's going through uh, the book of 1 Peter. And it was real fun for me to be able to sit there on the other side of the screen and throw questions in and try to distract Rob while he was talking, get him off base. And Ryan was doing the same thing with baseball, so it was really a lot of fun. But uh, he kept us on track. (laughs) Tuesday night, we have our uh, other Bible study at 6.30. We're going to be sharing Scripture throughout this week, talking about it. 
We want to be, as a church, continually devoted to the truth, continually devoted to God's truth, and we want to have such a flow of God's truth into our lives that we find ourselves in our community here at 6-8 Church constantly adjusting and, and redirecting our course so that we are better aligned with what God says we are and what God says we're supposed to be. This is an ongoing daily process that we must be continually devoted to. It's not something that can take place on a Sunday morning when we feel like coming. It must be something that, that we are constantly pouring and receiving God's truth into our lives on a day-in, day-out basis. And if we want to change, something has to change. Right? If, we, if, we, if we want to change, then something has got to change. And we're sharing this with you right now as a church because this is where we're heading moving forward. We, we're doubling down on becoming this kind of church. We are, we are at the position where being this kind of body is the most important thing. We're done with consumer church. We're done with attractional church. That doesn't mean we won't invite our neighborhood in. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we won't do those things. And it certainly doesn't mean that we're going to lock the doors on Sunday morning after we're all gathered in and keep everyone out. We're not going to be like that by any means. But the driving force for who we are as a church is going to be becoming like Christ and living like Christ in Christian community. It's not, until you have a picture of it, it's not like whew, fireworks. You know, no pyrotechnics. It, do, it, doesn't, it's, it doesn't look like, you know, we have lights, we're going to have lights, we have air conditioning, we're going to have air conditioning. You know, we're, we're not, not going to do a lot of those, shut off a lot of those things that we're used to, but... What I want to be a part of and, and what we as, as the leaders of the church want to be a part of is, is joining in with God and His work and being a part of God's movement and, and playing our role in the kingdom and doing what God has designed for us to do and, and, and discovering God's plan for what the church is supposed to be and, and, and being so committed to that that, that, that everything else that, that could look like consumerism and attractional ministry, just we just all kind of get this radar, this kind of fog radar that, that goes up and says, you know what, um, this thing that we're doing, it's really just an attractional thing, and I, you know, maybe we should stop, and even the ideas we present to ourselves as the church will even change because we realize the most important thing is not events, but it's life change. It's becoming like Christ. Transformation. And that's what we're going to be all about as a church. Living transformed lives. Though we don't just give a lot of information on a Sunday morning and say, good luck. 
Hope it works out. But really spending a lot of time and energy and effort at building systems and strategies to actually help us apply God's truth to our lives and, and let God's truth transform us. Live it out on a day-in, day-out basis. It's going to mean we're going to have to do things differently. It's going to have to look differently. We will still have our Sunday gatherings, but we'll have to figure out some ways that we can do life on life and smaller contexts. And we're talking about that and working towards a plan for how we're going to do that as a church, and, and we're excited to do that. But we're also trying to, as best we can, while we feel a sense of urgency that God has strongly pushed us in this direction, that we don't want to rush into it and not, and not just jump at the first thing. And so we're trying to, this is hard for me because I'm an all-in kind of guy, just, all right, let's jump in, let's go for it. And, but I want to make sure that we kind of set the foundation for moving forward in God's way. And so we're going to try as best we can to do it slowly and yet urgently and roll these things out. But there is a level of excitement in our church that we haven't felt in a while where we are confident that uh, what God is doing and moving us towards as a church, a transformed community that is actually looking like Christ, that, that this is something that's got a lot of people fired up, that God has been, I think, preparing us to do this for a while. And I hesitated, I was reluctant, because I was trying to figure out, kind of get the whole picture. I was trying to kind of, I wanted the whole process, I wanted all the steps in place before we'd done it, because we've tried several different approaches to discipleship over the five years that I've been here, and some of them had a purpose, and they did some good things, but they didn't really work out like I was hoping, and so I was like, well, okay, this one, this one's got to work. The next one can't work, it can't fail. We need it to work. And so I was kind of hung up for a while on, on the design process and wanting to get it just right. And, but now it's like, okay, I don't have all of the steps. I just know that this is where God wants us to go. So we are literally taking a step of faith as a church and saying, okay, it feels like you're leading in this direction. Uh, this is what we're going to do and trust you with the rest of the details. And it's really exciting. It's really exciting, and uh, I just want you all to be a part of it. I don't want anyone to get left behind and, and, and left out of what God wants to do. I don't want anyone to be stuck in the consumeristic view of doing church and just kind of going about the routine of trying to squeeze God into your life whenever it's most convenient, but to actually work according to God's plan, to God's truth, to God's understanding, and let God's design for how we're supposed to be living determine how we live everything in our lives. And I hope you'll spend some time in prayer in the month ahead and the weeks ahead and spend time in God's Word and just let God bring this to your mind and to your heart and see if this isn't also what God has for you and your future as well. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and your truth. 
I thank you that you are gracious, gracious to us as a church that even though maybe we've been a little bit off base for a while about what you want us to be, that you've given us grace as a church and you're giving us the opportunity to make corrections and do what you want us to be, do what you want us to do, be what you want us to be. I pray, Father, that though this may be some thinking that we're not comfortable with and is outside our comfort zone, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit that is alive and active and at work in each and every one of us here, who's a part of your body, though us being joined and unified by the exact same Spirit, not different versions of our idea of the Holy Spirit, but all of us being perfectly united by the perfectly united Spirit of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would be at work in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our bodies, and in our relationships, leading us to think differently about how you want us to approach the idea of church. And I pray, Father, that, that you would help us to be receptive to those ideas, that we wouldn't just resist because it's something we're not comfortable with, but that we would be open to what you have for us, as awkward and as uncomfortable as it may look. I pray, Father, that we would be able to trust you, knowing that you had the perfect idea in mind for us. Help us to see what it looks like. Help us to see the steps that we don't yet see and where you want us to go. And Father, may we follow you more and more every single day and look like you more and more every single day. And that we would become that kind of a church where day in and day out we are we're doing life together and we're looking more like you and we're bringing people into the kingdom and we're hearing stories after stories about how you are adding to the kingdom as a result of this body every single day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.